calling your life to uproot from this place and go where He sends you. Our other desire is that God would ignite in our hearts as a church a passion to see God glorified and exalted everywhere. That His name would be made famous in all of the earth. So these next few weeks, that's, that's our plan. That's our desire, is that we would have an ignited heart for God's glory and that some of our hearts might be stirred to even respond in a way that, they, that you would leave where you're at and go. So that's my prayer. And that's how we're going to move forward. Well, let's pray as we begin this message. God, as I've looked into what your word says about mission, I've just been struck by how much I don't know, God. I've looked into the goal of missions. I've been struck, God, by how I have failed to reflect upon that enough. Lord, we pray that you would raise up people from among us. God, there are few things as scary as that and no thing as as God-glorifying as that. God, we want you to be praised everywhere. And Lord, I speak that with my lips and all of us hear that with our ears. And as I've been struck, God, I think most, if not all of us, don't really have that engage our heart. So Lord, would you make that connection from what we know and we hear to what we feel and how we act. Lord, we lean on you. I lean on you right now for help. I ask that your Holy Spirit might empower and fill me. That your Spirit, that he would stir our hearts. That you might be exalted in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in the shadows of all that took place this past week in Egypt, a lesser yet very important thing also took place in northern Africa. Um, Actually, it was one of the neighbors of Egypt. Many of us have not heard that. This past Monday, there was a forming of the newest country in the world. Southern Sudan voted to separate from northern Sudan to be affected this summer. So if you're wondering, how many countries are there in the world? And I, and I looked into that, and I was struck to realize that there is no solid answer. I'm like, just count the countries. You can get on the globe and just count them. But it's not that simple. You see, some places call themselves a country, but maybe other countries don't recognize them as such. Some say they're countries, but they may not have a stable economy or government. There's all sorts of criteria, and people debate on what is the right criteria for a country. But for most statistics, I find that there are about 195 countries in the world. About 195. Now, we all have to recognize that 195 countries does not cover every single people group. In fact, nations, countries are, tend to be uh, measured by geographic boundary. But people groups are measured by language, by dialect, 
by culture. And according to the joshuaproject.net, there are 16,594 people groups in the world, spread out over 195 countries. 16,594. China, for instance, has 516 people groups. Papua New Guinea has 879. Now, just as striking as as many people groups are in this world, is the one is this other statistic that should grab our hearts. Of those 16,594 people groups, there are about 6,871 that remain unreached with the gospel. Six. 1,871 people groups that don't know Christ have been unreached. And by unreached is defined as as a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group. There are almost 7,000 people groups in this world that have no Christian or little Christian witness in them. I mentioned there are 516 people groups in China. 427 are unreached. There are 879 in Papua New Guinea, but only three unreached. But we need to think about what that all means. You see, in Revelation 5, the living creatures, the angelic creatures, declare to Jesus, they say, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you, re- you ransomed peoples, for, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, if we take that literally, which perhaps we ought to, Jesus died to ransom people with his own blood from every tribe, every people group. And the thought that there are 6,800 that remain unreached ought to grip us and cause our hearts to ache. I've titled this series and this sermon to make him famous. Make him famous. I take it from Isaiah 66, which says, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations. And he mentions the nation of Tarshish, Pool, Lud, Tubal, Javan, to the coastlands far away. And he says, They have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. God's desire is that his fame will be spread throughout the earth, even among those groups that today remain unreached. If he is the true God, which he is, these people need to know him. They might know his creative hand from nature but they have no knowledge of his saving touch through the blood of Christ. This past week, I was studying for this message, listening to a video, watching a video, I used to, with my daughter, Keziah. And as I was listening to, it was John Piper, talking about missions. And I leaned over to Keziah, I said, Keziah, isn't this wonderful? She said, what's so good, Poppy? And I told her, he's telling us how we need to go out and tell people who don't know about Jesus, to, to tell them about Jesus. And he, she said, well, why don't they know about Jesus? And I told her, because well, no one's ever told them. And then she kept asking the question, why hasn't anybody ever told them? 
How would you answer her? Why are there 6,871 unreached people groups in our world? Why are there about 1,500 completely unengaged people groups in the world? Why hasn't no one ever told them? It's always been the very heartbeat of God that His fame will be spread everywhere. Not just in Israel, surely not just in the United States, but everywhere. And few passages say it as beautifully as Psalm 67. Would you turn your Bible with me to Psalm 67? The Psalms are songs that were written, prayers that were used in public worship. And Psalm 67 is a declaration of what God's intentions are for the world. And we need to align ourselves with those intentions. Would you follow with me as I read Psalm 67? This is what God's Word says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that your, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The psalm begins with three requests in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. To ask God's grace to be upon us, to be gracious to us, is to ask God to treat us in a way that we necessarily don't deserve. God is almighty. He is holy. We are not. Yet this is a prayer saying, God, be gracious to us. Be gracious to us. It says to us. This is a psalm that was used in Israel among the Jewish peoples. And now we as the people of God, as the church can see the psalm and say, this applies to us. So we need to pray, God, be gracious to us, your people. Give us what we don't deserve. And he says, bless us. When you think about what blessing meant in, in the Scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, a fatherly blessing upon someone meant approval. It meant protection. It meant provision. It meant success. Just think about the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau despised his birthright. He was the firstborn. He had the right to an inheritance from his father, Isaac. But he traded that for a bowl of soup. Later in life, his brother Jacob tricked his father, Isaac, to, re to give him the blessing. And if you remember, when Esau comes back home from hunting and realizes that his brother Jacob had stolen the blessing from his father, remember Esau begged Isaac, he says, Father, haven't you one blessing left for me? Haven't you anything left for me? He begged him because he recognized how needy he was for his father's blessing. Yet there was none for Esau. Now think of Jacob later in life. When he's on his road, on the road he encounters the angel of the Lord and he wrestles with God. And he tells God, I will not let go of you 
until you bless me. He didn't want to proceed without God's blessing. So when we read here that the psalmist writes, bless us, it's not simply, God bless you. No one sneezed. This is a prayer for God's approval and hand of blessing upon them. God bless us. Bless us. You ever pray that? God, just bless us. Please, we want your blessing on us. And then the third prayer, he says, and make his face to shine upon us. In the Middle Eastern culture, when someone who is in authority turns their face away from you, it's a sign of disapproval and it's shameful to you. And they're saying, God, don't, don't, don't turn your face from us. Shine your face upon us. God, be gracious because we don't deserve it. But would, you, would you look upon us with favor? Would you bless us, your people? And this is the prayer that this psalm opens up with. And then we have a word there in the, in the corner of your text, in verse, end of verse 1, Selah. Your Bible have that? Selah. That's a Hebrew word. And it's meaning we're not certain of, but it probably means to stop or to lift up or to exalt. And what people are not sure of is, is this a part of the song where the music gets louder? Or is it a part where the people's voices get louder? I think it's a part where the music gets louder and the people's voices stop. Because they're called then to reflect upon what they just sang. And we do that here in our own worship songs. Where we'll go through a verse and there might be an instrumental or a prelude of sorts before we get to the chorus. Because we're to be reflecting upon what we just stated. So here the psalmist says, God, would you be gracious to us? Would you bless us? Would you shine your face upon us? Selah. Think about that prayer. Now some of us might think, man, that sounds really self-serving. God, be gracious to us. Bless us. Make your face shine on us. This prayer sounds, perhaps to some of you, selfish. And that's not the case. Because when we want God's blessing in our lives, we want His approval. It's not a selfish thing. Even more so, we get a hint that there's nothing selfish here at all. You see, this is almost an exact quotation from Numbers chapter 6. And it's a blessing from the priests. And this is what it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's a prayer of blessing from the priests. But you know, there's one key difference in the prayer of number 6 and here in Psalm 67. In number 6 it says, The Lord bless you. Here it says, May God be gracious to you. May God, not the Lord. In number 6, the word Lord is all in capitals. And whenever you see that in your Bible, it's a reference to the name of Yahweh. And in when, when we speak of Yahweh, we speak of the God of Israel. So in Numbers, it's, may the God of Israel bless us, His chosen people, the Jews. But here, it's not so narrow. Say, no, this is, this is God Elohim, the God of the universe. This prayer of blessing is for us, the Jewish people, or the people of God, but it's not strictly for us as followers of Yahweh, but it's for the universe. So there's an idea here that this prayer for God's grace, His blessing, and His face to be on them is not just for self, but it's for something universal. And that point gets made emphatic in verse 2. Look at the purpose of their prayer. Why do they want God's grace and blessing? 
we have this purpose word, that. So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Their great desire for blessing on their life is that the unbelieving world, the nations, the peoples might see God's blessing and then be turned to it, to be drawn to Him. And two particular things, that, that your way may be known on earth. This is, God, God, I want people to see your blessing on my life so that they can know your ways and then that they would know your saving power. To know God's ways is essentially to know God Himself. In Exodus 33, Moses prays, Please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. So what the psalmist wants here is, God, would, would you bless us, bless us, your church, so that people might know you? Not just your ways, but also your saving powers. Just think of it in the book of Exodus. How God delivered his people from Egypt with a mighty hand. And Egyptians saw it. They saw God's saving power. And the prayer is, God bless us in these ways so that people can see you for who you are. They can see your ways. They can know your saving power, your deliverance. The word saving here in Hebrew is Yeshua. It's a a word that's used for God's salvation. And it just drips with imagery because there's no coincidence that this is the name of Jesus, Yeshua. He is the embodiment of salvation. So when the psalmist prays that they would come to know God's saving power, as we see this as New Testament Christians, we know this is more than just a physical deliverance from some sort of slavery, but it's deliverance from the bondage of sin. And this is what the prayer of this text is. That all the earth, not just the Jews, not just Israel, but all the peoples would know God's ways and His saving power. In Genesis 12, God gave a covenant to Abraham. And this is an important covenant. Would you turn your Bibles to Genesis 12? The 12th chapter of the Bible, so right in the front. It's important to turn here because I want us to see this with our own eyes. What God's plan, like this was always God's plan. This is when God calls Abraham to himself. And he's about to give Abraham a promise for him and his descendants. And we know that his descendants are the Jewish people. But even here at its very beginning stages, we see that God has a plan that's even greater than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what he says in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And then verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then this phrase. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is not just Israel, but all the families of the earth. It's always been God's desire that his name will be made famous everywhere. Everywhere. Now I'm trying to understand, what is this connection, God, between you blessing your people and the nations coming to know you? What is the connection? Well, I think on the one hand, when people see God's blessing on us, they take note of it. And just think, as God delivered his people out of Egypt, 
Remember when they approached the walls of Jericho and the spies went in and talked to Rahab, the prostitute, and she said, we heard of what your God has done for you. So the nation saw God's hand and they, they noticed what he had done. God would use Israel to bless the nations because the Messiah would come out of Israel. Jesus was Jewish. Through the Jews, God would bring deliverance to all, of, all peoples who would trust in Christ. And even more so for us then who are recipients of God's blessing, we take that message to the world. That's how when God blesses us, the nations come to know Him. The nations come to understand His saving power because we're out there declaring it. And this here is the call to missions. This is what the missionary call is all about. Romans 10 verses 11 through 17 says, for scripture, it says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek or Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then the string of piercing questions comes. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 6,800 people groups remain unreached because no one has taken the good news to them. How can they believe unless they are taught? How can they hear unless someone preaches? And yet there are people today who remain unreached. The majority of them are in what's called the 1040 window. 10 degrees north latitude, 40 degrees north latitude. It stretches from northern Africa throughout the Middle East and into Asia. The vast majority of unreached people groups in the world are Muslim, Buddhist, and Hindus without the hope of salvation. Does that cause your heart to tear? That there are billions of people on this earth, many who have never even heard of Jesus, who are dying every day without a Christian witness, Don't be deceived into thinking people can come to know Jesus through nature. That's a lie. That's a lie of Satan to put us, to give us lead feet. You cannot come to know God through nature. Intimately, that is. You can know that there is a God. You can know, like I mentioned earlier, His creative hand, but not a saving touch. Nature doesn't tell you that you are lost apart from God. Nature doesn't tell you that God sent His Son to shed His blood. Nature doesn't say that God's wrath is directed towards sin, but that Jesus satisfied God's justice and pacified His wrath. Nature doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Jesus rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. Nature doesn't say that we can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. So if nature doesn't declare it, those that only have nature have no gospel and have no hope. 
In fact, what nature does is condemn them. Because it tells them that there is a God, but there is no deliverance for them based on what they know. There's a reality of hell that's attached to missions, brothers and sisters. So often we go about so passively. And yet I think we all should, be, should feel that rebuke from God. That life and death hangs in the balance. And yet many do not go out. Not to the ends of the earth. And oftentimes not even to our neighbor next door. I think just as painful as the fact of people's lostness is the fact that God is not worshipped among them. Our great God who loved us, who died for us, who gives us life, who gives us breath every morning, He's not praised among them. He's not worshipped. They don't love Him. The call to missions is to make Him famous but he remains unknown in these lands. And that's what precisely what verses 3 through 5 in Psalm 67 get it. Would you turn your Bibles back to Psalm 67? This is the declaration. Let the peoples praise you, O God. That includes the unreached people. We want them all to praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. If you notice, verses 3 and 5 are identical, word for word. And they kind of function as bookends. And the meat of this message is right in verse 4. The verses 3 and 5 ask that people would praise or confess or acknowledge God, the one God, the true God. Verse 4 is the great desire and is the thrust of this entire psalm. It's a prayer that the nations would be glad and sing for joy. Apart from God, there is no real joy. There is none. Apart from Him, there is no gladness. There are only sorts of temporary things, but there is no true joy and gladness. people live without gladness, what could God offer? Well, there's nothing greater that He can offer than Himself. And that's the prayer here, that all the peoples would praise Him, that they would know Him, who, who, who in Him exists true joy and gladness. So this is the prayer that all peoples would be glad and rejoice in Him. And the reason for, for you judge the peoples with equity, God is a just God. And there are peoples throughout the world, even among us here today, we yearn for justice, don't we? We yearn for justice. And there's justice in God, for He is just. This is what led the revolt in Egypt over these last 20 days. They wanted justice. They felt like they were under the hand of an unjust dictator. And they wanted justice. And they have an opportunity for freedom now. But we all know, as people who live in a wonderful, free country, that injustice still remains. Because only God is just. And apart from Him, we don't know justice. But in Him, there is justice. And He guides the nations, like a shepherd guides his sheep. This is the same word, guides, 
when it said that God guided the people of Israel with a fire by night and a cloud by day. And here the prayers that He not only guides Israel, but guides the nations who trust in Him. See, the great thrust of this text is that the nations would know this great God. This God whose ways are wonderful, whose saving power is delightful. This God who is just, who guides His people. That they would be glad and sing for joy. And this is what drives the missionary thrust. I've known several stories about missionaries in Egypt that I've heard about over the last few months. One one story of people I know personally. One of the stories where a missionary director said, uh, was telling us that the U.S. government announced that all American citizens should leave Egypt, except for those who are necessary personnel. And his director said, you know, he assumed that they'd be hearing from their missionaries that they're coming home. And then they received a letter from their missionary, and they wrote this. We are necessary personnel. Why would we leave this call for the sake of our personal safety? This kind of turmoil presents fertile soil for the gospel. Other missionaries that we know asked other Egyptians, they said, do you think we're safe here? And the Egyptians told them, yeah, you're safe, you're one of us. Because they had become a part of the peoples. And then they added at the end of their prayer letter, this prayer request, that new relationships would be established and old ones strengthened by our commitment to stay. But notice what's not in that prayer request. They didn't pray for safety. Because they're staying recognizing the dangers. And what drives this kind of radical behavior? What drives people to stay in a country that's in great turmoil? They want the nations to be glad and sing for joy. They want all the peoples to praise God. As one person stated, His glory is my reward. I have no regrets. You know, Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you believe that? To live is Christ and to die is gain? Are you willing to gain? Some might think, well, aren't these missionaries risking their own personal joy for the sake of the joy of these others? By no means. Because they find their great joy in walking in obedience to their God. And as they're able to make Him glorified and find satisfaction in Him, they're finding greater and greater joy. And as they find greater joy in declaring His fame, other people come to know Him, and then they're recipients of joy, because then they are glorifying God. I love how John Piper says it. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Let that be what drives us. God, we want to find satisfaction in You, wherever that may be. If You call us from our comfortable home to go out to Egypt, to China, throughout the world, wherever it might be. Because our desire is to glorify you, and when I glorify you, I find true satisfaction and joy. That's what drives these missionaries. That's what drives this psalm. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And let our hearts ache with that same concern. The psalmist continues in verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Some versions might say that, God, that there's a harvest 
And some of evidence of God's blessing among the Jewish people was that the, that the land would grow, that, that they would have fruit from their the soils. And they knew God's hand was on them when He provided in that way. But I almost wonder, there's a double language intended here. Because I can't, I can't stop to think of what Jesus said when He told His disciples, Look, look, the harvest is white, ready to be reaped. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And here the psalm says, The earth has yielded its increase. I wonder if He's thinking, The nations are coming, God, because you are blessing us. In verse 7, God shall bless us, and the result, let all the ends of the earth fear Him. That these peoples of the earth will be brought to reverent, praise-driven submission to God. Now, if you notice, this psalm is written in a poetic style for the, for the, for the Jewish people. It's called a, a chiasm where it begins and ends with the same thought. And each thought as it progresses narrows down and then the meat of the message is in the middle. So if you notice in verses 1 and 2, it's a prayer for God's blessing that the nations might know God's saving power. And at the bottom, verses 6 and 7, is that God's blessing would lead to the ends of the earth fearing Him. Verses 3 and 5 are a prayer that the peoples would praise God. And then verse 4 is the thrust that the nations be glad. The whole point of this psalm, the whole point of missions is that God will be worshipped. John Piper writes in his book that missions exists because worship doesn't. See, God is not worshipped in places throughout the world. And because He is not worshipped, there is a need for missions to bring worship there. So the end, the goal, is the worship of God. He is the attention The means that God would be worshipped is through missions and declaring His glory to the peoples. The result is that God is glorified and that our souls are satisfied in Him. So I want us to think, what does this, how are we to respond to this? Well, I stated my intentions up front. My first desire, my first prayer, our prayer, the leadership of this church, our prayer is that God would raise up missionaries. My prayer is that even now, God might be stirring some of your hearts and you're feeling this weight of this call to make Him famous. Secondly, I want us to have a united passion for God. That we want Him to be glorified. And thirdly, I want us to consider how we need to relinquish everything for His sake. And to all of you parents, even your children. You ever cry in tears asking God to prepare your heart if it's His will to send your child away to be a missionary? Or are you holding tight? Are you instilling that missionary blood into them even now, telling them stories? Are you letting God do that to you? Christianity Today had an article this past month that in 1927, 8% of churches' budgets went to foreign missions, which isn't much. Well, today it's 2%. How desirous are we to see God's name made famous? So remember Kazai's question. Why is this so good, Bobby? 
because he's telling us that people need to know about Jesus. Well, why don't they know about Jesus? Because no one's told them. Why hasn't anyone told them? How would you answer that? Would you say, because we're all way too comfortable here, would you say that we're afraid to step out? Would you say that we don't maybe fear God as much as we think? Would we give a pious answer and say, you know what, God hasn't called me to do that. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's for all believers. How would you answer that? How are we to respond to the 6,871 people groups that remain unreached? Brothers and sisters of Good News Bible Church, our lives are far too short. So don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. May our hearts ache and yearn to see Him made famous in all the nations throughout the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the earth fear you, O God. Is that your desire? Would you pray with me? God, I know we're only about an inch deep into this. Because there's so much more to be explored, God. 